Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and I'll be reading to verse 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Thus far the reading of God's holy and errant word. Many... Secular Christmas songs tend to have an upbeat ring to them this time of year as a way of expressing that Christmas is a time of joy and happiness. It's holly jolly and full of Christmas cheer, a time in which families get together to enjoy fellowship with one another and reflect on the memories of the past year. And I think many have really bought into this idea that it really is all holly jolly and full of cheer. There's really nothing um, to be mad about. Forget all your cares. Surely the advertising on TV and in stores as well um, reinforce this. The movies that we watch during this time also emphasize this. But what about those for whom Christmas is not holly nor jolly? What about those for whom Christmas is a reminder or puts front and center this deep and abiding joy that they feel they are lacking. And for some of us, we look around and other families seem like they have it all together. Um, their kids might be behaving. Um, they, they really look like they're having a good time during Christmas, but that is not everyone's story, is it? Where many, whether it be the disappointments of the past year, the death of a family member, or family feuds, Christmas can foster frustration more than fellowship even. If you have ever felt this way, or even if you feel that way now, John has a word for you tonight. And his word for you tonight is the word of life. This word of life is Jesus Christ, and he is the answer to all of your Christmas woes. See how in verse 4, John says he is writing so that his joy might be complete. So clearly grasping these few verses has something to do with our joy. And what I want us to see tonight is what is that John gives us three reasons to rejoice this Christmas. Reason number one, rejoice because the word of life is from everlasting. Reason number two, rejoice because the word of life became flesh. And reason number three, rejoice 
because the word of life gives fellowship. So he's from everlasting, he became flesh, and he gives fellowship. First rejoice because the word of life is from everlasting. And John tells us in verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which sounds very familiar, doesn't it? He begins his gospel in a very familiar tone when he says, in the beginning was the word. It's the same Greek words used here in verse 1 of our text for the word of life. He's talking about the same person in both places. And he's teaching Christ is the eternal son of God. He's the second person in the Godhead who has no beginning. He has no end. He is co-creator with the father. And through him, all things were made. And John, as it were, is raising our spiritual eyes to be amazed at and to adore Christ, the powerful preserver and governor of all things down to the littlest details of our lives. What a comfort it is that we have this God, one who is sovereign and exists outside of time, but is still intimately involved in our lives as if he was right next to us. His might and his power in themselves should deter us from sin and make us pause and ask ourselves, do we know whom we are dealing with? It might be hard to remember that since during this time of year we're accustomed to seeing little pictures of baby Jesus in in a cradle, the cute and cuddly baby. But let's not forget he is the Lord of the universe. The baby in the cradle is the creator of all things. He's the creator of things invisible and invisible And he's the one about whom it was prophesied long ago that he would come deliver his people. That God himself would come and deliver. For example, in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Or in Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Micah 5, 2, O Bethlehem, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. He came as Israel's long-expected Messiah, But make no mistake, this deliverer is God himself. And Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting for their God to deliver them. They were waiting for a second exodus. And it came. It came. Which leads us to the second reason to rejoice. Rejoice because the word of life took on flesh and blood. Not only is Christ the powerful creator, but the meek and lowly servant who entered his creation entering time and space john continues in verse one saying that which was from that which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we touched with our hands first notice how each verb increases in intimacy and intensity which we have heard with the ears now what was heard 
John and the disciples heard Jesus teach them. They heard him exhort them and rebuke them. They heard his, uh, his tenderness toward the downcast. They heard his sternness toward the Pharisees. They heard Jesus weep and cry out to his father, a dreadful cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Next, what would John and the disciples have seen? John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he had the privilege of beholding his majesty at the Mount of Transfiguration. But I think what is more in view here um, are the everyday things Jesus did during his earthly ministry. So his healing diseases, when he casted out demons, when he performed many miracles, and he ate and drank with his disciples. And finally, that which was touched or handled with the hand. John reclined at table right at Jesus' side. He leaned his head right on Jesus' chest. So John is piling all these verbs on top of one another to say, yes, he really did come in the flesh. We witnessed it. He wasn't some ghost or appearance, but we met with God in the flesh. His audience is a second generation of Christians who, like us, would not have encountered Christ while he was on earth. So John gathers all the evidence for them. He lays out all the facts, no fiction. He tells the truth in nothing but the truth. Many of you have probably heard of the celebrity Bill Murray. And people claim they've had some very interesting encounters with him, like him splashing water at them or reading poetry to construction workers. And rumor has it that after his antics, he would say, no one would believe you as a joke, which probably was true since they didn't get a picture of it. So really, who would believe them that this famous celebrity came up to them and they had this really funny experience with them? Well, John is telling us his encounter with Jesus was real and authentic. And Jesus did not come with a no one will ever believe you mission. He came to be believed. And John has some very compelling evidence to prove it. He says, yes, he really was here. Not only was he here, but we ate and we drank with him. We spoke with him. We had intimate fellowship with him. And friends, this evening, the word of life that John and the disciples bore witness to The God in human flesh is the kind of God you want, and it's the kind of God you need. You need this God. One who's not merely far off and transcendent, and you can't have any meaningful relationship with him. One you cannot talk to. No, we need the God who comes near, so near that he would clothe himself with our frail human nature. He's felt what we've felt. He's felt the disappointment. He's felt the pain. His spirit was grieved by our fallen world so much so, he wept for his friend. And he didn't just grieve, but he was moved to action. He tasted death 
for his people. He, he assumed every part of your human existence, yet was without sin. And he did so to rescue you. The invisible, transcendent God became most visible. John's saying, we didn't just hear a voice or behold some hallucination in a back room, but we handled him. Christ took on a real, tangible body to save those who possess real, tangible bodies with real ailments and real pain. He took on that which he came to save. The word of life, the eternal God creator of all things who in the fullness of time became incarnate for us men and for our salvation. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation is indeed one of the mysterious truths of our faith and is difficult to wrap our minds around, but it has very personal and practical implications for us. Because the union, watch now, because the union of God and man in one person is the very pattern and foundation for our union with God and our union with one another. After describing this deep theological truth, John brings it home to bear upon our lives. In verses 2 and 3, he tells us exactly what Christmas is about. He says, We announce eternal life, which was with the Father, and made manifest. Then in verse 3, he says, So that you might have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is our third and final reason to rejoice. Rejoice in fellowship. This fellowship is twofold. We have fellowship with God and we have fellowship with one another. Christmas is all about the announcement of good news that the one who was from the beginning, who took on flesh, was witnessed by men and not just witnessed, but beaten, mocked, scorned. He died and rose on the third day so that we might have fellowship First and foremost, we have fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ in that we now have access to the throne of grace. Adam and Eve, they communed with God in the garden, but by their fall, they plunged our world into an estate of sin and misery. But Christ came so that we might have life, abundant life. Eternal life, never-ending life. That's what John says in John 17.3. Eternal life is knowing the Father and the one whom he has sent. Now you might be thinking, well, I've already put my faith in Christ. I already know him. So how do I experience this fellowship with him? Well, you experience this fellowship through the means of grace. You experience this fellowship when you... Read his word. When you attend the preaching of his word, when you receive the visible words of God in the sacraments, when you pray his word back to him, this is how you strengthen the fellowship bond you have with Christ. So this Christmas, if you feel lonely, if you feel forgotten, then Christ bids you come commune with him through his appointed means of grace. 
the Father, gives eternal life through the person and work of his Son, Jesus Christ. And John is announcing this message, but it's not simply a message. It's a person. The gospel is not just something to believe. It is someone to believe. The word of life in our text is synonymous with the person, Jesus Christ, which means those who receive the gospel by faith receive nothing less than Jesus Christ himself. Is this how you think of your salvation? Or do you divorce the benefit of salvation from his person? Salvation is not primarily about getting things, it's about getting him. And we should all be after a personal union with Jesus Christ. Upon believing the gospel, we are justified by faith and receive eternal life. Your name is written in the book of life and you possess eternal life. But don't stop until you can say with confidence, I possess Christ. Or even better, I am possessed by Christ. An easy way to test yourself is how much do you pray? If eternal life is to know God and the one whom he has sent, then how much time are you spending getting to know him in his word and prayer? Secondly, our fellowship is with one another. There's first, hor- there's first vertical fellowship restored through Jesus Christ that then leads to the horizontal fellowship we have with one another. Those who have been reconciled to God are then reconciled to one another. And I found it so ironic that many did not want to meet on Christmas just because it was Christmas, not because of the big blizzard that we had. Um, today we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But the goal of the birth of Jesus is the birth of his church. So it makes all the more sense that we would gather on this day. Because on this day, we commune with the Father through the Son, in the Spirit, collectively and corporately. I love how the Heidelberg Catechism puts it in question 55. It provides us with two things with which we can understand the communion of saints when it says, first, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him and of all his riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be his duty readily and cheerfully to employ his gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. What this means is since we share in a common salvation, we are united to Christ our head and receive life from him. And because we are organically united to one another, it is our duty to readily and cheerfully use our gifts for the edification and betterment of the church. Now that is convicting, isn't it? Because many of us might not even know what our gifts are. And if I don't know what my gifts are, then do I, do I even see it as worth my time to find out what they are? But friends, it is worth the time for everyone here to ask ourselves, do I see it as my duty to readily and cheerfully use my gifts for the church? 
There is real joy on the table. And we don't need to ask this question begrudgingly because Christ wants us to experience this joy. He wants you to use the gift he's already given you so that you enjoy fellowship with his people. And so that you might have joy, but then when you rejoice, you cause others to rejoice in using their gift. And then everyone's using their gifts and we glorify God together. This is why we have received a new life from Christ for the building up of the church and rejoicing in the new fellowship we have with God and with one another. Notice the repetition of the word life in our text. Jesus is called the word of life. The life was manifested. John is announcing eternal life. It's as if John looks back on Jesus' ministry as he's writing this letter and he's looking for a word to describe it and he's thinking and he's thinking and then it comes to him. Life. Jesus was about life. He brought life to a dark and dying world. He's a giver of life. Word of, to call him the word of life means that life springs forth from him. The word of life is a word of eternal life, so a message, but messages typically come from persons, don't they? I suppose now we're in a time of robots and AI, and you might get that annoying automated message every once in a while, but they typically come from persons. Think of a phone call or text message you might receive around this time of year. If it's not one of those annoying ones, and there's a person on the other side, right? Well, whether you want to talk to them is an entirely different story, isn't it? But, but John and the, and the disciples bore witness to Christ. They heard and they saw him. They touched him. And they're announcing their testimony, but their testimony... It's not just a list of facts. Their testimony is a person. It's a personal encounter with the word of life. And John is announcing that testimony to us. But when you hear the message, you are hearing the person. They heard his voice. But if you're a Christian tonight, so have you. Every week when God's word is opened and preached to you, they saw, and they touched him. But if you're a Christian, so have you in the sacrament. They beheld him. So the question for us here tonight is, have we beheld him? Have we, have we beheld him as our Savior? Have we placed our faith in him? God accomplished fellowship Fellowship with the Father and the Son. Fellowship with one another. And he did this through sending his only begotten Son to take on our flesh. But if we stop there, then we're not saved. The incarnation itself is not what saves us. Christ had to take upon himself our nature, yes, but... He had to die. 
But if we stop there, we're still not saved. Because a dead Savior, there's no Savior at all. And so he had to take upon himself our nature. He had to die under the wrath of Almighty God. And he remained dead for three days. But he had to raise from the grave. It is the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection by which we are saved. It is both his estate of humiliation and exaltation that saves us. So my question for us here today is, have we been buried with Christ? And have we been raised with him and been seated with him at the right hand of God? Is our life hidden with him this Christmas? As we conclude, this Christmas really is about joy if you're a Christian. But make sure we're rejoicing for the right reason. We ultimately rejoice because the lowly born Jesus, the one who humbled himself coming from heaven to earth, that same one, he died and he rose. And he's seated at the Father's right hand right now, interceding for you. That entire process of salvation, his entire person and his entire work, that is what saves us. And so just as the angels participated in the worship of the pre-incarnate Christ, just as they worshipped him as he lay in a cradle, We now join their heavenly chorus now. But we don't worship the lowly baby Jesus. We worship the highly exalted and resurrected king. He is your king. And this is the one whom we worship. But we do so as those redeemed and reconciled to God. And reconciled to one another something even the angels cannot say so don't we of all people have reason to rejoice this Christmas let's pray gracious heavenly father we thank you that when we are weak you are strong we thank you that um, your son humbled himself Um, To the depth that he did, he did not have to. Uh, And we thank you that he endured such a trial and was humiliated to such a degree so that we might have eternal life in him. By By your Holy Spirit, we pray you would raise us and give us new spiritual life through the word of life. Help us to behold Christ where he is at even right now and ignite in us a passion for him so that we might worship him with the saints. Help us to long for the resurrection of our bodies where there will come a day where there will be a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth that Christ has won for us. We pray this in his name. Amen.